Jim Derrick and welcome to another edition of Chapters. On today's program we have in studio Gretchen Leary. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Gretchen you have uh, just a fascinating story. You are someone who lives with autism spectrum disorder uh, and having had autism your entire life you know exactly what it's like so you've used that experience to propel you forward to help others in big big ways and that includes forming your own nonprofit, which seeks to help and comfort uh, children that are dealing with autism. You have also written two children's books that help educate and demystify autism for children and parents alike. Gretchen, you grew up, obviously you have autism spectrum disorder and have been living with it for better part of 30 years. Yes. When did you first know that, that you were different in some way than some of the other kids you were you were with? Pretty much my whole life, I knew something was different. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know how to make friends. I didn't know. I mean, at sleepovers, I would wander around and like wander off and usually play with the family dog at whatever house I was at. And right. I just didn't fit in. And I honestly had no idea why. Mm. And the thing that made part of the story that's so remarkable is that, Gretchen, you didn't find out what you had, you didn't have a diagnosis until you were 23. That's right. So you have lived, unlike most people with autism spectrum disorder or Asperger's, you didn't have a label for this. That's right. How, how do you think that impacted you as you grew up, um, not having a label that is? It was really isolating to not have an answer um, for why I was different. Yeah. And so it made me feel very alone. And um, it felt really kind of crippling in a little like in a way to not know this it created this this fear that I'm just this really strange person wow. um, and so that diagnosis really was kind of like I you know like I say like the unveiling of the the unknown and so it, it gave me an answer and some hope yeah I can only imagine how alienating that must have felt because as you said you where do you fit in right right where who who am I Right. And, and you just didn't have an answer for all those years. And the incredible thing is about Gretchen is, first of all, she's a brave, brave person who's who speaks very freely about autism spectrum disorder and her own challenges through her life. And importantly, she has turned her trials into her motivation for doing good for others. And specifically, that is demystifying autism spectrum disorder and other uh, disabilities and Letting children know that people are just differently abled. They have, and, and normalizing that sort of behavior so that it's not so stigmatized. And you've done that in a really unique way. Can you talk about some of the ways that you've you've attacked this? Okay, so, so my first children's book is called Really, Really Like Me. And it's a series of interactive um, pages that are illustrated uh, by Danny Bowman. She's an amazing woman on the autism spectrum as well. And um, so, for instance, one of the pages would say or one of the pages says, you know, Claire really, really doesn't like loud noises and sometimes needs to cover her ears. Can you cover your ears, too? And so it's a prompt to the t for the teacher to have the children, whether they're, on, you know, all they're not all going to be on the spectrum. It's to help those that aren't to understand also the social cues for those that are. Yeah, Gretchen, I'm taking a look at this book. It's on Gretchen 
Leary, L-E-A-R-Y, books.com. And you'll find you've written two children's books. That's right. And what's the second book? So the second book is called The Quiet Bear, and it's a bedtime story about a little girl who meets a teddy bear in Central Park. And she doesn't use um, the word autism is actually not written in the story at all. It's, it's basically stated as her voice matched her tiny size. They don't use words at all. Like she doesn't speak to the teddy bear. Obviously, the teddy bear doesn't speak to her, but they communicate in other ways and they have adventures all over New York City, yeah. uh, which leads up to bedtime. Yeah. And so it's really kind of more of a poignant bedtime story of how we communicate with more than words. Right. And so you have these two children's books, and you were talking about donating them worldwide. That's right. Um, and who were you donating to? Schools? Mostly autism organizations yeah. worldwide, because I actually go just Googled international autism organizations. And so I was able to donate copies to um, like an organization like in Trinidad and Beijing um, and then all over the the country as well. So but yeah, so quite a few countries and um, many states it's as incredible. well. And on top of this all, and we're going to cover a lot more about uh, Gretchen's story, but She's also involved with a nonprofit called BostonCom.org, right? Org, right? Mm -hmm. And BostonCom's mission is to is to give back to people that are in the uh, autism spectrum community and other uh, disabilities, right? That's right. And and you've done that. Uh, you have an incredible list of sponsors that's growing. It's a relatively new 501c3, although you've had one in the past that's connected to this. But I think the important message here is Gretchen that you've taken your life experience and put it together in, in, into a package and used your what has happened to you over time to inform how you're going to help others. And that's the that's the inspiration. Mm -hmm. Gretchen, you told me an, an amazing story before we came on the air about one of the catalysts that helped you form your vision that you needed to do more and more for people that weren't as fortunate as you. Can you talk a little bit about that story? My senior year um, in high school, and, and all 12 years of my school were pretty horrible. I mean, just like barely making it through. But my senior year, they gave us this kind of exciting assignment. Uh, and I was new to the Sacramento area. And so one of the things that they had suggested was that you could do a few different things for the project, whether it was shadowing somebody that uh, had a career that you want to, like job shadowing, mm -hmm. uh, or you could do a fundraiser of some kind, like a small charity, um, that like a temporary one, and then write a paper about it, about the experience. And obviously, like I really latched on to this idea of uh, doing this charity, and I picked the uh, name of the hospital out of a phone book with my eyes closed, and um, <laughs> I didn't know anything about yep. them, but I, I just felt really compelled to do this, so I called the hospital, and I said, you know, what can I do to give, and they said, we need calling cards. So um, I was able to raise like a few hundred dollars, um, which to me really wasn't all that impressive. And these but, are telephone calling cards so that people right. could afford to take, make the calls. Yep. Right. So that yep. the patients could call their families. Mm -hmm. And um, and I really wasn't super impressed by the amount that I had raised, but I was glad to give back. And then um, I got a, a phone call while I was at work. Um, from UC Davis Children's Hospital, and they said, C you know, can you come in? There's somebody that really liked to talk to you. And so I was able to, to make it into the hospital. I'd never been there before, and I didn't realize the people that I had been supporting. And um, I think that's something that 
is really important that when we donate that we can we can see who we're reaching and who we're touching because it, you know their lives because this is that's where the transformation right. happens right yeah yeah and so walking into the hospital and seeing these children that um, at least from my understanding most of them were terminally ill mm. um, and then finding out that the UC Davis Children's Hospital's uh, telethon wanted me to be a part of their telethon and I was interviewed by four of their top radio stations yeah. Uh, but one of the little boys that was being interviewed before me, I was sitting there waiting my turn, thinking like, "What am I going to say? What if I say the wrong thing? You know, I've, you know, I'm not used to this. This is yeah. scary. You know, like this idea of this is scary because I, you know, I'm not familiar with it, especially being on the spectrum. The lights, the hospital lights, are so bright, and I've never been here. Um, I felt really out of my element. And this little boy named Tommy. Um, got, you know, they put the, the headphones on. I'll kind of never forget all of the little pieces of it and watching this kind of unfold. And they started asking him a question, like asking him questions. And I didn't realize at the time until they said, you know, Tommy, are you afraid of dying? And he said, I'm not afraid. Um, and that really got my attention. Obviously, I kind of like looked up from what I was doing as I was like preparing, you know, I didn't even know what I was really preparing yep. for. Um and he said, I'm not afraid to die. You know, these other children are not afraid to die. Mm. And so as we were wrapping up my interview after the fact, I kept thinking about Tommy. And he stayed, like his story stayed with me more than anything else mm. from that day. Um, but one of the things they asked me in closing in the interview, you know, was, are you proud of yourself for what you did? Are you are you happy with what you did? And I, I'm looking at these children, especially Tommy, and I said, it will never be enough. And it really just became such a catalyst for change for me to I just always focused on self-growth and giving back and finding a way to do that. What a powerful story. I got to tell you, I get goosebumps hearing it the second time. It, it's that powerful. And and, um, and that's really the way you've lived since then, is yes. that it's never enough and you keep going after it. So I want to remind everybody, we're speaking with Gretchen Leary. Gretchen is a woman living with Asperger's on the autism spectrum who has made it her mission to help people that are living on on the autism spectrum. She works with schools. She works mm -hmm. with hosp hospitals. She's a public speaker. She's an author and also a philanthropist. My name is Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at chaptersradio.com. Uh, Gretchen, I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about the challenges of living mm. on the autism spectrum and maybe specifically Asperger's or however you'd like to take it. I think you mentioned something when we first sat down, and that was that people are suffering from fear. They fear what they don't understand. That's right. And so one of your missions, the core of your mission, mm -hmm. is to demystify what's going on so that people aren't afraid, specifically children and, and adults. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about what being on the spectrum is like to live with and how we can kind of demystify it? Um, well, I'm going to use kind of... A Kind of like an anecdote to sure. kind of help create that analogy. And so actually the, the vice president of the nonprofit, his name is Christopher McIntyre, and he is um, all he has Tourette's. So he's kind of the other piece of what inspired Boston Com. But um, one of the things that he has helped me with, because when he and I um, first became friends, I talked a lot about fear. Right. Yeah. And I talked about things that I deal with, whether it's the lights and I'm, I'm the girl with the perpetual sunglasses on the top of my head. I mm -hmm. have to remember to actually take them off at night because I literally will have them on my head. Um, and so, you know, 
he and I sat down and I told him my story. And one of his missions was kind of to show me I'm capable of anything. So he took me into a rock climbing. We went and did go-kart racing. We went into our arcade. He wanted to show me that there's nothing that can stop me. And um, I was a little irritated at first because I'm sure you were. I was like, this is really scary. Dude, we um, just met and you're yeah. wrecking my world here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I realized just how important that was, um, what he had done for me, because I thought I want to do that for other people, too. But but like these the, the sensory issues that I have right. with like uh, bright lights, very, very difficult, especially if they're flickering. It's almost unbearable mm. for me. And. Uh, I think a lot of people, they'll say like, oh, well, a lot of people have a hard time with bright lights. And and I tell them, um, it, I'm talking about physical pain. I'm not just talking about it's irritating to my eyes. And right. when a screen door shuts on uh, some summer day and you're sitting on the porch and that screeching sound happens, right? Um, I remember crying and being in pain four hours later mm. from just the screen door shutting. Wow. Yeah. Wow, and this is all the way from back when you were a little girl. Yeah. yeah. When I was little, um, I didn't realize how strange it was that every time the toilet seat dropped, you know, how it makes that banging sound yeah. that I would cover my ears and I would say, ow. Right. And I never put two and two together until after my diagnosis that that's where that came from. As an adult, I still do it. And I catch sure. myself doing that and yeah. thinking it's like this. Um, it's just very weird to mm. kind of go back in time and see all the different behaviors that um, that I did. Like with I did a lot of chewing with pens because sitting still was so difficult, mm -hmm. whether it's bouncing my feet or shifting in my chair, but a lot of chewing on pens and people chew on, again, this is like one of those things where it's a level of extreme. I'm not talking about chewing a pencil where they're just gently chewing on it. Mm -hmm. um, there were so many pens that I literally had chewed the big pen until it had split down all the way down the middle, like halfway down the pen and I was like drooling on the desk and right. the teachers never said anything they right. just assumed this was an, an anxious behavior I right. guess and it was never reported to anyone mm -hmm. so I just assumed that other people were doing it I just wasn't looking how did being on the autism spectrum affect your social life as you grew up I really didn't have a whole lot of friends mm. um, I was in a church community that kind of created this false sense of uh, friendship mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't really understand how to interact. I really, my, if someone had asked me when I was a child, how do you make friends? I would have answered, you just ask them, can I be your friend? And right. that's really what I believed. And I did that actually, even in high school, there was an ex experience that I had where I wrote a note to some kid asking if I could be their friend. And Watching them all laughing at me across oh. the library was really humiliating. But I learned very quickly, I'm a fast learner, that that's not how this goes. Mm. So I was like, all right, I'm going to have to try a different avenue. But there was nothing natural about it. And I have been blessed with some amazing friends um, that understand me and my un understand my differences. And it's not just, oh, wow, that was random, Gretchen. Because that became like a thing growing up was I heard that constantly was, oh, that was random. Because what, what would happen was I'd be in a social setting with a group of people and people would be having a discussion. And I'm sitting there trying to think of something to add to it. And by the time I come up with something to add to it, they're talking about something else. Mm -hmm. So I blurt out something that's mm -hmm. totally irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And so it just became this thing where, well, that was random. Mm -hmm. um, and then they go on to talking about something else. And so it was always trying to catch up. It was like playing catch, catch up the whole time. You know, I'm sitting here listening to you talk and, and realizing that you went through 
in, inarguably, it's got to be some of the most traumatic times growing up when yeah. you're when you're in high school or junior high school yeah. and you're struggling on a social basis like that. It is traumatic. I can yes. only imagine how traumatic it was. I'm not on the autism spectrum. I yeah. still have nightmares about some of my interactions in, in school because that's the time when you're worried about just just your existence you right. think doesn't match and to have be on the autism spectrum and not even know it by the way yeah. and not even know what's happening to you must have been incredibly frightening but the the fact that you've taken all of these firsthand experiences firsthand experiences and moved them in a way that will help others mm-hmm. and demystify what's going on here and help the kids that don't have autism accept the kids that are on the autism spectrum is amazing to me um, because, again, it's firsthand knowledge. And it's not like it happened to you, you know, two decades ago. This right. just happened. I mean, this is pretty recent right. where, where you've had to learn to adapt. So, um, again, what a what a resource you are. You founded uh, Boston Com, C-A-L-M, a nonprofit 501c3 located right here in Boston. And uh, Boston Com has some really unique projects, including delivering sensory care packages to hospitals uh, and a massive letter writing campaign. Would I be wrong in saying, Gretchen, that there aren't a lot of organizations like Boston Com or other outward-facing organizations helping people in the autistic community? Well, actually, there are there are tons of programs mm-hmm. in the Boston area for autism, mm-hmm. but what we do is very unique. Right. How is it unique? So we provide sensory tools, um, like sensory care packages, to patients or individuals of all ages with autism spectrum disorder, whether they're in a school or a hospital, such as Boston Children's Hospital's autism program. We're pretty specific about the programs that we give to, um, but there it's pretty broad, like because. Th- it's everywhere. Yeah. It's not just in a hospital setting. You know uh-huh. what I mean? People are everywhere. The disability is everywhere. It is that it started with um, actually just sitting with my friend uh, Bridget at Panera Bread. Yep. And I said, I have this idea. And this yeah. was actually February 12th of 2019. Yeah. And I I said, I have this idea. I I said, what do you think? And, and she's like, well, you know, she said, have you ever heard of um, the Boston Bullpen Project? And um, I ended up talking to someone there, and I said, how do I start this? And he said, just start. Just start. And I did. And so I started calling Show companies, <laughs> and yeah. I said, I want this. I have this idea. I want to put together care packages with sensory care items like weighted lap pads and teddy bears and earmuffs, mm. and how do I do that? And so I just started calling companies and saying, do you want to help? I, and, and really wording it that way because it's truly a need, a community need, and saying, like, can you help me encourage these people, whether it's an item that's a an actual therapeutic tool or if it's just something that's encouraging. And one of the pieces actually in the adult care packages that I did and that's ongoing is called the Dear Friend Letters that I had. So I reached out to a few um, advocates that I'm that I'm friends with or acquaintances with that are on the autism spectrum, like Rachel Barcelona, who actually just spoke at the state capitol about autism. And she's uh, she's, um, on the autism spectrum, and she's running for, I think, Miss Florida. And then uh, Haley Moss, who is the first openly autistic lawyer to pass the bar. Sure. So she wrote a letter of encouragement. And Danny Bowman, who runs an animation studio, and she's one of my illustrators, she wrote a letter of encouragement. So I included this whole group 
of letters and then told the women that I donated to, actually that was at AANE, that's Asperger's Autism Network in in Watertown, Mass., I said to the women there, like, if you want to write a letter, we can keep this going. We can just keep growing these letters because I think the community and our tribe is really great. That's something Haley talked sure. talked about. Yeah. It's kind of this tribe of yeah. women. Yeah. But that it's not just women and, and that it's just it's not just kids, it's not just women, it's really all of us. Sure. And it's all about like community and, and unity within that. Sure. It's Bostoncom C A L M dot org is the name of the this wonderful organization. Take a look at the website. It's a beautiful website. Can people reach out uh, to you folks um, on your contact sheet if they'd like to donate or become Absolutely. more involved? Absolutely. And there there is a way to donate on the site through PayPal. Great. Um, but they can also feel free to email or call. Sure. And they can sure. find that in. Gretchen, you also do public speaking. I do. Which is just fantastic. Can you tell me about where you speak and, and what your messages are? So uh, my speaking engagements have been at various places. Um, I've usually hosted my own talks, but I, and, and honestly, my goal is to be able to start speaking um, kind of probably separate from the actual nonprofit, just something that I do kind of on my own. Sure. But speaking at some of the schools that I attended, I would really like to go back and talk to them, like to the, to the staff and to the students separately or together. I mean, just kind of to promote the same message of there's hope because I, I have a feeling walking through those halls would be a little overwhelming. But I actually went to 12 schools before I graduated. So I see a lot of opportunities where I can go into these schools from whether they're elementary schools and talking to the staff or going into high schools and seeing kids that remind me a lot of me um, and and being able to make a difference and kind of, again, unveiling that fear, yeah. which is really what starts the bullying to begin with. That's really what this is all about is fear. We were talking about that. Yeah. How does fear play into this bullying and everything? What What is the typical trajectory for a kid that, that just can't accept the fact that somebody's different? Um, I don't know what it's like for on the bully's end, but sure. I know that when I was a kid, um, I had food thrown at me. I had, um, I would have somebody, pe- people like blocking my way in the hallway, um, uh, chairs pulling out from underneath me, and all kinds of names, people shouting at me in study hall, asking really inappropriate questions, and really just a lot of assumptions that were made and just a lot of that like snickering that you kind of see in movies that was just like yeah. if I said something that was awkward. Um, but a lot of it was pretty like, I mean, people would, f- some some of it was pretty bad. I mean, I had kids, some, some of them following me home from school, hacking into my email account, changing my profile information, all kinds of stuff. Um, and really it's just all based on fear and just I don't understand this person so I mean I really think that's kind of what it boils down to or I don't understand myself and so I'm going to project that onto someone else and and then you have this um, kind of uh, cycle of bullying that starts where people can't accept themselves and then can't accept others Mm. and I think that when I began to accept myself I learned how to better understand others whether they're on the spectrum or not too and it actually helped me to grow my social skills and to be able to do things like be on a radio talk show. Or, right. And yeah. I mean, even though in high school I did it, I mean, mm. that was really I think it was very different. And if I could hear those interviews, which I have no idea how I would even mm-hmm. find them, I think that the the level of uh, even functioning would be very different. You know, Gretchen, um, 
just listening to you describe the bullying um, is hard to listen to as a parent and as somebody who loves children. I, I can just imagine how important this message is, not just to get across to the kids, but the parents of kids, mm-hmm. uh, of all children, so that parents are sensitizing their kids at home to the fact that they need to be accepting of people with all different disorders. We all have something right. that makes us different. Thank God. Right. Right. Or it would be an awfully <laughs> boring place. I remember we we're speaking with Gretchen Leary. Gretchen is a woman who is living with autism spectrum disorder or, or Asperger's syndrome. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at chaptersradio.com. And importantly, uh, Gretchen has taken her experience of being on the autism spectrum and um, has used this to help countless other people through her children's books, through her activism, through the nonprofit, which is bostoncom, dot org, uh, and through her public speaking and just the type of person that she that she projects uh, when you meet her, and I can tell you this is changing me right now because um, I think Gretchen, there's a there's a big need for your voice to be heard. You said when we sat down that there was a time in your life when you just wanted to be heard, mm-hmm. and that really resonated with me. Did it feel like you were trapped at one point in your life? Yeah, I mean, I think that to be kind of just there. And not really feeling like I had a purpose yeah. because I didn't even know what I was doing. Like I, I, I went from survival mode, right, and where everything was, how do I get through this, mm-hmm. and how do I just get through this moment mm-hmm. to what can I do with this moment, mm-hmm. and that's a life changing experience. I want I wanted to ask you to speak to parents directly. Okay. I can imagine there's someone out there that's turned this on and they heard Asperger's or Autism Spectrum or Tourette's and they stopped and mm-hmm. they pulled over maybe because they thought, my child's struggling. Mm-hmm. What, what advice would you give a parent that has a young child who's on the autism spectrum? That's a great question. And, and it's, I, I'm asked it a lot, but I think that, I think that for, for me what I would give for advice would be to just encourage your child to see beyond the disability mm-hmm. But to also recognize every like the daily victories that they have, like never undermine the disability, but really just encourage them to grow and to continue to grow. And that that their disability um, really is something that, you know, we all kind of we all have our challenges. Right. And some of them are medical challenges and some of them are going to be totally different. And so we all have this journey and that. I think that most of us that have a disability could use it in some way to a certain extent to help others. It's just it's a level of like added compassion. I think when you are going through something, whether it's a physical illness like cancer or whether it's a disability, a chronic chronic illness, whatever it is, I think it gives us perspective that others might not have. It's an opportunity. Yeah. If we see it as such and, yes. we, and we exercise it, it's not always easy. But to embrace the kids, I think your message is to to uh, let them know that they're loved, first yes. and foremost, to celebrate their differences and to help them cope as they move yeah. along and with emphasis on developing empathy, yes. which is something that I don't know. Man, I'm looking at you and you scream empathy. <laughs> and it's interesting because they, they say that typically people on the autism spectrum really struggle with I know. empathy. and. Um, I have heard all kinds of arguments that suggest otherwise, but I, I think that it's just that we express it differently. So 
there might be somebody that uh, is hurting and um, my reaction would be enti- might be entirely different than someone else's yeah. when they want to help them. Yeah. But it doesn't make it any less, you know, when I see somebody yeah. hurting, yeah. I sometimes will feel physical pain mm-hmm. just seeing them hurting. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I, I'm going to verbalize it the same way yeah. and I might try to help them in a totally different way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I advice that I would give the children, I want to see if this matches up, get with somebody like Gretchen Leary, um, get with a, a role model. Uh, and, and if you can find somebody like Gretchen, that, that's a challenge, but, but, <laughs> but find somebody in, or an organization mm-hmm. that, that you can uh, get with because, um, the empathy that you've developed over time, that was hard fought, mm-hmm. right? And some of the painful, painful experiences that you had, you probably want to help kids avoid, right? Yes. Right. I mean, that's your mission. Yes. Your mission. It's never enough. So um, is there a way for parents and or children to plug in? I know there are autism organizations. Is it important for them to plug into these communities as part of their growth? I think it's important to be like, I think that for it, it's different for the individuals than maybe the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on the per- We're all different. Like, I can only speak for myself, really. I can't speak for anyone else that has uh, the same, even the same disability. Um, but from my own experience, I actually feel like I benefit more from, like, connecting with people that, um, that just want to help others versus necessarily being in a group of people that all have autism because... It's all about our special interests, and I think that really honing in on whatever the individual child's special interest is, whatever their passion is, uh, that's what I feel like is going to make them feel understood and important because that's going to make them feel more connected than um, – I mean, I, I've definitely been in um, in support groups for uh, people with yeah. Asperger's. Yeah. And it's a struggle because we are all struggling socially. So now we have a room of people struggling socially. So I feel like uh, being there have been groups that I've been in where I felt like I fit in a little bit better Mm -hmm. where we're talking about nonprofits because then I'm like, I know what to contribute and I know what to say. And I might not say it the right way or in just the right timing, but I know how to contribute to the conversation. Tommy didn't have autism. That's right. And Tommy connected in a way over 15 years ago. Yeah. That you were still talking about that young boy who is, I'm sure, passed. Yes. And he is still your motivating factor because he connected on that empathy level, on that level of giving back. And mm-hmm. that's what you're motivated to do. That's so important to hear, Gretchen, um, because um, I, I'm going to reflect back a little bit. I, I got a diagnosis some time ago, and I think some of the best advice I got was to stay out of the Johnny, the hospital Johnny. And I thought, what are you talking about? I'm not, I don't know what he's talking about. Basically, what the person was telling me was don't identify as a sick person. Mm-hmm. You may use the experiences to inform you and everything else, mm-hmm. but don't get stuck in a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Because along with that being stuck in it comes self-limiting beliefs. That's right. You described a way that you broke through mm-hmm. your self-limiting beliefs with your partner at Boston Calm. Yes. And, and I found that just fantastic. This person actually pushed you out of your comfort zone, right? Oh, boy, he sure did. <laughs> he sure did. Tell me a little bit about that. So um, I think I actually wrote something, too. I, I ended up 
because of this experience, I actually ended up with the column that I write yes. on called Being Brave. And it's on the um, website called, it's called Zoom Magazine. And it's by Geek Club Books. Right. Zoom Magazine, Geek Club Books. And it's uh, under Gretchen Leary. She's the author. And the column is Being Brave, right? That's right. Being and Brave. Take a look at that. Uh, so I talk about different experiences like indoor rock climbing, which actually presents as more of a, a challenge to someone on the spectrum than the average person because mm-hmm. of eye-hand coordination mm-hmm. challenges and the bright lights yep. and the social situation as well. So it's like all of that combined. And I remember one of the first, one of the most like momentous or like one of the most important moments or aha moments when I was climbing was actually he wasn't, uh, Chris wasn't there with me. At that time, this woman showed up, and she and I were the only ones in the rock gym. And we were on one of those auto belay machines where it, like, you're connected to the device, and so that someone else doesn't have to belay you down, yep, yep. it'll lower you slow, mm-hmm. slowly. And she got to the top, and uh, then she she turned to me and she said, "You know, I think one of the things I've learned uh, in life that seems m- most important is learning how to just let go." Wow. And I, you know, so when she got, when she let go, you know, I was kind of not thinking about it as deeply as I was when I got to the top. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go. And I just told myself, like, trust, let go. And um, I think that that was one of those defining moments, too, for me, because I, after, especially after that day, I thought, not only am I no, no longer afraid of rock climbing, mm-hmm. I love doing it because it makes me feel brave. Um, and because I'm still afraid of heights, mm-hmm. I'm actually terrified of yeah. heights. And that Didn't hasn't change changed. That. Yeah. <laughs> no, it hasn't changed. And I still have horrible eye-hand coordination. And it's a challenge. It's It doesn't... It's gone a little bit easier, but it's still not a natural thing. So it's still a challenge every single time. And, and similarly, I mean, the go-kart racing, um, that was pretty bad i crashed into the wall about five seconds like literally the light turned green for the race and i crashed into the wall (laughs) and the staff all had to run out onto the track uh to pull my cart back and um my friend he just slowed down his cart and we lost the race just so that i could be okay And, and 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 having i think that the message behind all of that and him being there was that having an advocate having somebody say it's okay. I know this is going to be hard, yep. but I'm going to be here every step of the way. So mm-hmm. if you crash into the wall at the go-kart race place mm-hmm. or if you fall off the wall mm-hmm. at uh, the rock climbing place, um, having somebody that's always there and whether it's a parent or a mentor or an advocate of some kind, um, that's kind of like what my goal is to be that for, for people. So um, he's been that for me. And so to have him as the vice president seems so special and um, important for me. And so to kind of he's one of the things he's, I've always said is how can I ever thank you? And he says, pay it forward. And so this is kind of and then then the nonprofit came about and I said, I want you to be the vice president. And I thought this is how I'm going to pay it forward. Absolutely. I mean, we're not just talking about autism spectrum disorder or Tourette's or any of the other disorders, but this is just good advice in life, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Gretchen, it's um, the other the other thing that's interesting to me is that people on the autism spectrum disorder, Asperger's, what have you, mm-hmm. there's an amazing amount of qualities that they have that are above and beyond what anybody else could do and people are envious of. One of those is focus, right? Mm-hmm. Tends to be a yes. the ability to focus, Yes. right? What are some of the other things that people on the spectrum can do better than than those that are differently able? I mean, it's definitely uh, 
it, again, depends on the indivi- individual, sure. but right. um, our long-term memory, mm-hmm. as I was telling yeah. you before, yeah. remembering somebody's SAT scores from yeah. 15 years ago yeah. um, can come in handy when you're working in, in, in a work workplace where you need to have... Um, like I, I feel like the way I described my mind was that I feel like my brain is just a collection of 50 million different color post-it notes. And when I, <laughs> and I'm always just kind of it's always just kind of an explosion of all these random yeah, little facts yeah. that I know, um, unless it's a special interest. And then I know an awful lot of little facts about that thing. And I think that's one of the things that is special about autism is that we all tend to have a very special interest. And for me, that was helping others. And so that really worked out well with uh, sure my mission. And That's yeah. exactly the reason I brought it up, because if, if we need to celebrate differences, because, my gosh, if everybody was like me, who has absolutely no ability to focus on detail, who is organizationally a mess, and but I have some strengths, right, on the other side of things. <laughs> I need people that can focus on mm-hmm. the detail, that can remember things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we need everybody. It's a big tapestry we need to be able to weave together. And that's what you're helping do by dispelling fear and fear is the number one obstacle to love well and that's interesting actually that you use the word tapestry because that's actually um part of the title of the young adult novel i just wrote i didn't Um, know about the novel so it's not published yet it's still i just finished the manuscript i wrote it um in in like between january and february of this year (laughs) i wrote it and um, and it's about a woman who basically is able to use very special abilities to make a difference. And so that's it's a very it's a it's one of those fantasy novels. So How it's kind exciting. Of, yes. This is, is great. Do you have a working title yet or are you not able to talk? So about Tapestry it? is Tapestry, the, is the, be- okay. the beginning. But it's uh, the other piece of it is uh, the legend of Ina. And Ina means light. It's like an Irish uh, name for light. Will this so. be a series? I would like for it to. I'm, I'm definitely like uh, I left it at a place where it could absolutely be picked up for another, you know, for another book. So basically it starts on a cold, wet, like winter um, night in the middle of a country that doesn't quite exist. Right. So it's a country called Medora. It's yeah. kind of like Narnia and like I don't know how to explain it. It's supposed to be a place sort of like Ireland. OK, so I'm trying to like help you picture this. Yeah. So um, a baby is born on this night and it's going to cause a lot of problems if people know who this baby belongs to. And so this baby is left on a church altar um, because they don't, the person doesn't know where else to go or to leave the child. And a little shepherd boy finds this baby and brings the baby home. Um, and it's, so it's the story of the little girl, Ina, that's the baby that was on the altar. Um, and just the, her discovery, her self-discovery that she has very special, uh, powers and abilities, um, that are going to save the kingdom. So, awesome. yeah. And- Boy, can you see the metaphors there? Yeah, and, and, and she's about to find out who she really is, and that's that's kind of cool too. Something you did uh, in a way yes. on your twenty around your twenty third birthday, um, yes. but I would argue that every experience you've had in your life has made you who you are today. We are the sum total of all our yes. parts, and you're an amazing person. Thank you, um, Gretchen. I I wasn't prepared uh, to uh, meet somebody quite as powerful as you today. I uh, googled the word hero to find a definition because I was thinking hero all the time. Mm. I would I would classify you as heroic. I would classify you as somebody who has 
courage in droves, the ability to walk through fear. That's your entire life. And now to give back uh, in honor in part of Tommy. Yes. Who taught you that it's just never enough. You got to keep doing. You got to keep leaning forward, being compassionate, being empathetic and giving back. Yes. So again, uh, the organization's name is Boston Calm, C-A-L-M. And you can find them at www.bostoncom.org. Take a look at that website. You can also find a lot of information on Gretchen herself, um, her vice president, uh, the organization, the articles, the blog that she's written. And importantly, look at the work that they are doing to get out sensory care packages to to uh, children in a variety of settings. And so for my guest, Gretchen Leary, my name is Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters, and we'll see you next week.